Sorry for any uh, anxiety I've created in any of you. Um, last week was one of the good weeks because uh, last week we got to look at all of those who are with us. Uh, those who are a part of God's forces who fight with us. And that was very encouraging. And yet we're not just spectators in this war. So it's great to have all of these who fight with us, but there's a sense I'm out here in the battlefield, I need something. You know, I need something in my own hands. And uh, we're going to talk about that this week. But to do that, I want us to look at a little clip from that great theological movie, Iron Man. Okay, so uh, if you'll watch this with don't you wish we could do that? If we're going to talk about spiritual warfare, uh, I want one of those. Well, you know what? We do have that. And that's what we want to look at today. The armor of God. For it's not just those who stand with us. It's what God has given us as we must be in the midst of this battle. Today, we want to look at our armor, and it is greater than what you just saw on that screen. Um, Paul knew Roman soldiers. Uh, he, had, he had been a prisoner. He had been in jail. And I almost picture in my mind this happening, that at some point, Paul is in, in jail, sort of killing time, because what else do you do? And he's looking over at his guards. And he sees a Roman soldier there in typical Roman military dress. And he's thinking and then suddenly hits him. You know, as Christians, we've got that. And so he literally just describes the battle dress of a Roman soldier and goes through it item by item. But in the process, he says, you know, a soldier has that. Well, that's what it is for us as Christians. And he equates every piece of a Roman soldier's armor to what we have in this spiritual battle and how it enables us to fight and win in this war. And so today I want us to look at that. The passage is in Ephesians 6. If you want to keep your finger there, we're not going to just read through it all. I want us to walk through it piece by piece and talk about what does that mean to have a belt of truth or a helmet of salvation. But I do want us to read uh, where Paul begins there in verse 13. He said, now, we've looked at the earlier passages in the prior sermons. He says, 
we need to understand this battle we're in is not just about flesh and blood, but there are these spiritual forces against us, and as we saw last week, for us. But then, like I said in the introduction, we also have our own weapons. And that's what begins in verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. That's a beautiful promise. And that's what I want us to look at today. Paul says, God has given us the armor, and if we put it all on, when everything is done and the battle's over and the dust finally settles, we will still be standing, undefeated. And he says, how do we do that? What is that armor? Well, then in verse 14, he begins to walk through that armor. And what he begins with is a belt. Now, there's some of us in this room who don't really need a belt in the way we use belts anymore. We just put them around and wear them in our pants. But a belt was much more important in ancient times. First of all, they didn't wear pants. And they had more flowing clothes. And, and you needed, if you were going to be in battle and moving fast, you needed something to gather up all those flowing clothes so that you could move and not trip or get your hands tangled as you drew your sword or whatever. But a belt did more than that. It also carried the scabbard for the, the sword or things. And as you see in this picture, Roman belts had actually armor hanging down from them. So it was also protection. And so Paul says there, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. You see, truth does that for us. And he said that's what the belt is for us as Christians. Because truth draws us up. It, it holds what we need around us. Knowing what we have, knowing the truth, prepares us for battle. So that we can stand firm. What's Paul talking about? Well, first of all, he's talking about believing that there is such a thing as right and wrong. In our day and age, it is very trendy to say, well, what's your truth may not be my truth. And it's come to be seen that truth is just something subjective. And we all get to sort of pick our own truth. The universe doesn't work that way. No matter how popular that is, none of us get to vote on gravity. None of us get to vote on the speed of light. Nothing in the universe supports that new notion. And it's not real. One of the things that we need to understand is if we want the belt of truth around us is that there is a reality known as truth. This is true. This is not true. Nobody gets to vote. It doesn't matter what we think, feel, do. It doesn't matter anything. That is reality. Truth. And that's the beginning to prepare us. When we understand truth, and seek it and know it, then it allows us to see our world and see things as they really are. This is wrong. This is right. This is the truth. This is a lie. You see, truth allows us to see things more clearly and see things as they really are. 
that prepares us for battle. Truth also allows us to live with integrity. If I know the truth, I know what is right, what I should do. And I know what is wrong and what I don't want to do. It gives me a truthfulness to who I am. Jesus said in John 8, and we've got a lot of scriptures today, so I'm just going to have uh, sections of them from on the screen, but all the notes, or all the scriptures are in the notes. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, and then, if you hold to truth, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You see, if we have the truth, it will guide our lives. It will give us a value system of what is important and what is not. What I will do and what I won't do. The truth becomes a compass, a map for our lives as we live. And it gives us a framework or a filter to evaluate what we see, what somebody suggests, a decision we need to make, all of that, the truth helps us decide. And all of those are issues in this spiritual war that can make all the difference in our lives and our families. I want to include in each of these pieces of armor one last point before we leave it. And that is how this weapon defeats what Satan is trying to do. Truth de deceives Satan... Uh, Truth defeats Satan because he is the great deceiver. It's one of his names. He loves to trick us. He loves to tell us half-truths and twist a lie to make it look like a truth. But if we know the truth, then we can see reality. And Satan is not able to deceive us because we know the truth. And that is the belt that's around our waist. The next thing that Paul talks about is the breastplate. Ancient Kevlar. That bulletproof vest. It was that, that metal part that they covered their, their main core body with. It covered the vital organs. It was able to turn away spears and swords so that that soldier could survive and fight without being hurt. Paul says for us as Christians that we are to stand firm with the breastplate of righteousness in place. That we have put righteousness on us and it is there to protect our vital spiritual organs. Righteousness does that for us. What is righteousness? I know that sounds like a theological term. We don't probably use it at work. But all you got to do is cut off the back half of the word and you're right at the meaning. Doing right. That we do what is right in our lives. Those things which are Christ-like. Those things which we know to be what we should do. You see, righteousness is evidence in our lives that God really is calling the shots in our lives. We really are a follower of Christ. We are about doing what is right. 
And the opposite side of that coin is, is the obvious, and that is we also have a priority on not doing what is wrong. That is as much a part of putting on the breastplate of righteousness as doing right. It is also saying, I don't want to do that because then I would no longer be righteous. And so it's also avoiding that which is evil or wrong or which God says, don't do that. We've seen a lot of times recently in the media a very promising career is destroyed, whether that's politically or a church pastor or whatever, because something they have done is broadcast in the media. There's a very simple solution to that. And it's not do away with the media. Don't do it. If you don't do it, they can't broadcast something on the media. Your career can move forward. You can be a, a, a secretary of whatever. You can be the pastor of this church till you retire. Just don't do wrong. And then you don't have to fear the media. That's a breastplate of righteousness. And we need all of us to make sure we have that on in our lives. At the end of verse 27 in chapter 4 of Ephesians, Paul says this, now, your translation will say, do not give the devil a toehold or a foothold. I want to change that last word to just make it a little broader. Don't give the devil an opening. Just don't give him an opening. Try not to do too many farm stories, but we got to go for just a second back to the farm where I grew up. And we had hogs. My hometown, Kiwani, is actually the hog capital of the world. I know you're going to be impressed. Um... And if you're not busy Labor Day, you can go to the hog festival. And there's a pork queen. Well, we just won't go there. But nobody makes fun of hogs in Kiwani. And we had hogs on my farm. Well, since a, a hog doesn't even have a neck, their nose and head is incredibly strong. And if you want to keep that hog in that pen, you cannot give them that much space. Because if they can get their nose through it... They will rip that gate to shreds and you can't stop them from all the tea in China. And I've watched it happen. If they get their nose through, it's over and back because they're going to flip that whole gate aside. The solution is don't open the gate a crack. That is exactly how Satan is. The simplest way to give, to keep Satan out, don't open it a crack. As Paul says, do not give him an opening. How do we do that? By making sure we are doing what is right. That is the power of righteousness. It denies Satan any opening, any opportunity. I don't go there. I don't do that. I don't do it a little bit. I don't do it once a year. I don't briefly go there. I don't give him an opening. In the process that allows God to do more in our lives, we get closer to God and it builds our own confidence because we know we're about doing right. Imagine being that politician or that pastor who says, reporter's here to see you. You see, if you live righteously, that's not news to make us nervous. If we do right, we don't have to be afraid. And that defeats Satan. One of the other names of, of, of Satan is the accuser. 
Satan loves to come before God and say, God, look at her. You know what she did last week, and I want to make sure you saw it, God, because I want to bring it before you. I want to accuse this Christian. Satan loves to do that. Because God can't argue with the truth if that's what we really did. And that gives him an opening. But if we do right, then Satan can't do his accusing act. He can't separate us from God. And he can't use one of his biggest weapons to tear us down. Guilt. Satan loves guilt. And we give him the ingredients for guilt when we fail to be righteous. Well, the next thing that Paul notices on that soldier are his sandals. I don't know if some of you like to go barefoot. I can't go barefoot. I just can't handle it. My wife always teases me. But again, I always blame the farm. But on the farm, I just... You didn't go barefoot. You walked in all kinds of things you didn't want to if you went barefoot. And you hurt your feet. I, I don't know. If you get a little rock in your, in your shoe, have you ever noticed it doesn't have to be very big, but your attention is suddenly focused on one place. Getting that rock out of my shoe now. Can you imagine being in battle? You needed something on your feet so you weren't stepping on stones, hurting your foot. Because if you did that, you couldn't focus on the battle. You were, your attention was stolen by that pain in my left foot. And I got to do something about that. And that very distraction made you vulnerable. And so Roman legionnaires wore massive sandals. They were hobnailed. They had nails in the bottom both for traction and protection. And Paul looked at those and he said, you know what? We as Christians need sandals for battle. And he calls them sandals of the gospel of peace. Stand firm then with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. I want us to think about that gospel of peace. And as we think about it, there's really two different directions that you could interpret that passage. And I don't want to, I don't believe it's an either or. I think it's a both and. One of the ways that the gospel of peace protects us is that the gospel of peace brings peace between me and God. Gospel in the New Testament almost always refers to the good news of Jesus Christ. What he did on the cross to forgive my sins so that my relationship with God can be restored and be secure based on Christ's death and grace and not my obedience to the law. That was the gospel and the literal meaning of the word gospel is good news. That was the good news. Well, Paul says that good news is a good news of peace. And one of the places it brings peace is in my relationship with God. I can have peace with God. I can know my standing before Him and I don't have to worry or doubt that because I am a sinner saved by grace. It's not did I keep all ten of ten rules today or if I only kept nine of ten rules in God's law, I'm on shaky ground and I don't have to constantly worry about that. We are saved by grace. And that good news brings peace between us and God. And the result of that in Hebrews, as Bob read, 
in his communion meditation, the result of that gospel of peace is that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. How can we come to that throne? How can we find help in our time of need? Because of what Christ did on the cross and that gospel, that good news. And so one of the places it brings peace is between us and God. And you see, if I have that confidence, go back to your sandals. If I have that confidence, then I can have a firm footing. And I'm not distracted by some pain in my foot or some rock I've stepped on. I have a firm footing in this battle. I'm saved. I I am a child of God. I am forgiven. And that gives us a solid foundation for this war. But I said we can interpret it a couple ways. The gospel of peace also protects us from peace in our relationships with other people. Because the gospel also, if, if we live out that gospel and it comes into our hearts, it also brings peace between us and folks around us. You see, it allows me to live with forgiveness and grace. It allows me to forgive others as they have forgiven me. It, it causes me to see others in a whole new light. They are now a child of God, not just this irritating boss or irritating neighbor. I see them differently. I am willing to treat them differently. And my relationship with people around me is changed by that gospel. And Christ intends it to bring peace into those relationships. It helps us in that way as all as well. Paul challenges us at the end of Romans. He says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. That's a huge challenge, and sometimes they don't cooperate. And so it's not that we always are able to have peace in every relationship, but that gospel makes it possible for us to have that approach. We're going to live at peace. Where they will let me, I will be at peace with them. Peace does so much for us. It gives us a closeness with God and a sense of of security and confidence in our relationship with Him, but it also gives us closeness with other believers. I'm not alone. I don't feel isolated. I feel that there's a number of people around me, and we are in a good relationship, and that lets me feel that security of those folks around me. Peace defeats Satan because he wants us to doubt our standing with God. He wants to remind us of our sin and how unworthy we are, how much we don't deserve God, how much God probably doesn't want to talk to me. And I got plenty of stuff in my life that says, you're right, Satan. But you see, the gospel of peace says how God views me is not based on my worthiness. How God views me is based on the blood of Christ. And God looks at me and he sees Jesus. And he says, I love you. You're my child. And that defeats everything that Satan is trying to accomplish. It also defeats how Satan wants us to spend our energy hurting each other. You know, how often do we spend our time in this spiritual war shooting one another? We've all seen that in the church. We've all seen that in spiritual relationships. That's exactly what Satan wants. 
The more we can kill each other with friendly fire, the less he has to do. But the gospel of peace says we're not about that. And we're going to forgive each other and we're going to love each other and we're going to be about standing together and helping each other, not hurting each other. And that denies Satan one of his greatest weapons. Well, Saul, uh, Paul has sort of looked at that soldier and seen sort of the core basic stuff. He's got a belt on and he's got his, his breastplate on and he's got his feet all covered up with these great sandals. And now we're getting to sort of the big stuff. And one of the things he sees there is that shield of faith that every, every, every legionnaire would carry. You see your shield, I, I, I came to view it as your wall of safety. Uh, nobody wants to be out on that battlefield sort of naked out there and even a breastplate. It's better to have sort of this shield you can hide behind. It was sort of a movable wall you could take with you so you could get behind it and feel safe. And when, as Paul says here, when they shot arrows at you, you could hold that shield up and the arrows couldn't hurt you. Not just a safety to hide from, but a safety from which to fight from behind this wall of safety. And so that's why Paul says, in addition to all this, you sort of got your core covered here, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. We need a spiritual shield. We need a spiritual shield for all that Satan shoots against us so that we have a wall of safety to stand behind. It is our faith in God. That, that, That is what becomes that wall of safety for us. Our confidence in who God is, how he works, what he will do and what he will never do. Our confidence in Christ and who He is and who He was, who He is today, and who He will be. All of that faith gives us a wall of safety. Even David called God our shield. In Roman, in Psalm 18, he says, God is a shield to all who take refuge in Him. You see, if we have faith, that confidence in God and what He's about, then that faith will help us have a wall of safety. Whatever Satan shoots at us, whatever attacks, whatever doubts, we have that faith in God who is greater and what He's doing. And that gives us hope even in impossible situations. It gives us a confidence, even though we don't know the outcome. Even though we don't understand what is going on or why, I can come behind my faith in God, in Christ, in what God is about. And I can feel safe there, despite all of these questions or attacks. And you see, that defeats Satan. He wants us to doubt. He wants us to be afraid. He wants us to question. All of those steal our joy and make us ineffective. And he loves that. He loves that when he can place that doubt, hit that attack, make us afraid. Because then we're not busy attacking him. We're shaking and our knees are knocking. We don't have any courage at that point. But faith gives us that courage to resist his doubts, to resist his attacks 
and to have confidence even when there is unknown around us. There's two more. One is the helmet. Paul looked up and he saw that legionnaire with that helmet. It was very important. If you were behind that shield and you were going to attack at all, you had to stick your head around to see. And as soon as you stuck your head around from here up, was vulnerable. And very quickly in the ancient world, they figured out you had to cover that head up. And they developed all manner of helmets. Your head was exposed. You were vulnerable. And obviously the head is pretty important to not only see, but it's where our brain is that controls it all else. And so they protected their heads. Paul says we have to have a helmet. And he says it's our helmet of salvation. Stand firm then. Take up the helmet of salvation. We need that helmet. That faith that I am a child of God. Despite our sins, I have been forgiven. I have a confidence in Christ. I like the fact that we have communion every Sunday at this church. Because that is a reminder I think we all need weekly. I am forgiven. Christ died for me. His blood, His body was given. I am a child of God despite this week. Despite what happened on Thursday at work or what happened Tuesday night at home or whatever. I'm forgiven. And that knowledge of my salvation protects me gives me a confidence in Christ and my standing before God. Paul talks about that guarantee and what God does for us to give us that confidence, that guarantee. Now, it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. God's doing this. He anointed us, set His seal of ownership on us, and put His Spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. I think Paul wrote down those words because he knew how important it is for all of us to have that kind of guarantee. We all continue to do wrong. None is perfect except Christ. And when we fail and we do wrong, it's so easy to begin to doubt ourselves. I'm not really a Christian. God doesn't love me. There's no way I'm going to heaven. And Satan is right there whispering in our ear, boy, you're right. And can I remind you of what you did on Monday as well as Tuesday? And and you did this and, and this. And the more Satan reminds us, the more we're agreeing with him. And pretty soon we're ready to just lay over and die right here. Paul says we need a guarantee. So when we doubt, we can look at the fine print. Wait a minute, I am saved. And Paul says that guarantee that we always have with us is the Holy Spirit that He places within us when we become a Christian. To remind us, wait a minute, I know I'm a sinner, but I'm forgiven. Christ died for me. God has loved me. He's accepted me. I am a child of God. And that becomes our helmet, that helmet of salvation. And with that, we gain confidence. For this day, for this life, that I am on God's side. And that confidence defeats Satan. We're no longer fearful. We no longer doubt. We no longer give up. 
we're no longer afraid to take a risk, to be bold, because we have a confidence in our salvation. That brings us to the last part of the armor of God. The sword. A sword was your offensive weapon. In a sense, everything we have talked to, so, talked about so far was really to protect ourselves and keep us safe and alive. It is with the sword that we take the battle to the enemy. Everything so far has been so the enemy can't hurt us, but it's not enough to just not be hurt. We need to attack the enemy. And that's what the sword was about. I was behind that wall of safety in my shield. I could look over and see where the enemy was because I had a helmet to protect me. And what did I do then? The sword came around. Roman legionnaires were notoriously famous for the power of their sword work. And they destroyed, and that's why Rome conquered the world, a, 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 a host of Roman legionnaires, shield to shield, with their swords out, could not be defeated. And they conquered the world with the power of that sword. Well, Paul says we have just as powerful a weapon, and that sword is the Word of God. Stand firm then, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Putting it simply, your Bible is your weapon. It is the weapon God has given you, the very words of God, because that's what this book is. It is not just a historical book written by humans. It is not just an ancient book out of mythology like the Iliad or the Odyssey. It is God speaking His Word into our lives and human history. Using humans as His secretaries. But it is God's Word. And that sword is a weapon for us. The Spirit works through that Word. When Satan himself had to face, when Jesus himself had to face Satan in his temptations, what was the weapon that Christ used? The Word. Every time Jesus wanted to stop Satan in his tracks, what did he do? Quote Scripture. Because he had picked up his memory card and memorized Scripture. So he had his sword ready. He didn't have to worry about, gosh, where's my Bible? I left it in the car. I left it at home. No, he had a sword with him. The Word of God. The Word of God is incredibly powerful. Hebrews says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That is the weapon that God has given us. That sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, can do so much. It exposes Satan, his true character, and what he's really doing in this situation. It tells us what way we should go and what is right. It reveals the truth behind his lies and deceptions. It speaks truth into a circumstance or a decision or a question. It has a power of its own. There are so many stories of people who have been turned back to God, not because they went to a church or heard a preacher, but because they saw a Bible laying on a shelf and they said, I've got to pick that book up and read it. 
They didn't need a scholar around, and I'm the one saying this from the pulpit, they didn't need a preacher around. You see, the Spirit can work through the Bible alone, and it has a power of its own to defeat Satan and drive him out of lives and homes and families if we will only take the word out of the scabbard and open the book and read it. It can convict us of error and turn us back to the truth. The word can do all of that. It defeats Satan because he is the father of lies. And the word exposes all of that and gives us God's truth. He bluffs and he rages to discourage us. The word says, this is the real war. This is the real army of God. This is the real victory. You don't have to be afraid. This is the truth of what's coming. The word does all that for us. And it drives Satan back just as much as it did for Jesus when he was being tempted. If we will take that word out of its scabbard and put it in our lives. You don't have to be afraid in this war. And I'm sorry for any way in which us talking about it has caused you to be afraid. But leaving us ignorant was to leave us where Satan wanted us. And so we've sort of had to come through a a, a valley of fear. There is a war and it's real and demons are real and all of that. And that's a scary valley. But last week we saw we're not walking through that valley alone. God and Christ and the Spirit and the saints and and God's angels are all with us. And now we see today that we have this armor to protect us and this weapon to fight. Franklin Roosevelt said when he became president, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. That quote is never truer in spiritual warfare. We have nothing to fear of Satan and what he's about in this world because of who is with us and the weapons we have. All we need to do, as Paul says, put on the complete armor package of God and take up the sword He has given us to fight this war. And if we do those things, we will. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You for who stands with us and that we are not alone. But thank you as well for the armor and the weapons you have given us to fight this war. Thank you. Now help us, Father, to look in our own lives and see where we're wearing that armor and where we need to put it on. Where we need to start taking up the sword of the Spirit more. They're there. Ready and victorious. Help us to take advantage of the armor of God you have provided for us. In Jesus' name.